0: Well, my name is Juno Smalley, and I am the pastor of discipleship here. And I help oversee, uh, give support to to Greg and men's ministry and to Rita and women's ministry. And I'll be supporting our new children's pastor when he comes on the scene in another month or so. But my primary focus is to help folks become more like Jesus by, uh, by helping them to connect, by helping them to be in relationship with others by helping them to to, to understand what the word means and and how does all that happen. Uh, You probably get emails from me if we've ever had your email address uh, from Juno. I'm Juno, I'm not the uh, service provider at (laughs) juno.com. Otherwise, we'd have a lot of money in this church. Uh, But anyway, my primary opportunity and heart is to help you to connect with others because as you connect with others, you become more like Jesus. So if you're here for the shebang, sorry, it's not that the whole shebang has fizzled out, but uh, we're taking a break from that this week, and Alan's going to pick it back up next week uh, as he continues with uh, understanding and seeing the big picture of God's story and how it applies to each of our lives. But I have the opportunity of sharing with you today, and I'm going to be sharing from a, a book in the New Testament called Luke, and that book at least the passage that I'm focusing on today, also has a lot of questions. Boy, it just seems like the week for questions, you know, alpha and then this, but it really does have a lot of questions. And and, and understanding where we're going in the message, it's important to understand the context of the whole passage. Well, in the book of Luke, in the New Testament, we see all the classic stories of the faith. Not all of them, but many of them. Another story when Jesus tells the, 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 the fishermen to throw the nets on the other side of the boat and the nets are so, so filled that they about sink the boat when they bring it back on. There's a story about the, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. There stories about Jesus raising this good friend Lazarus from the dead and raising other people. There's many stories about him healing others. And you can think, or at least I think, he was pretty busy pretty busy guy, and, and I wonder, what was it all about? You know, doesn't he take a break somewhere in there? And why does he do what he does? Well, if you look in the beginning of the, of the book of Luke in chapter 4, we read how Jesus responds to that. In fact, it, it could be his mission statement. Uh, he says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. Again, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. And then after, after performing a bunch of these stories and a bunch of these miracles, there's a religious leader that comes up to Jesus and begs Jesus to heal his daughter. And that's where our text, that's where our passage picks up for today's message. It's in the 8th chapter of Luke, starting with verse 42, the end of that verse, and going through verse 48. And so as he went, the crowds pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. And though she had spent all she had on physicians, no one could cure her. She came up from behind him and touched the fringe of his clothes, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Then Jesus asked, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and press in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I noticed that the power had gone out from me. When the woman saw that she could not remain hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Let us pray. Lord, for these folks here, I give you thanks that they are here in your house. And I just simply pray, Lord, that, uh, that the words of, of my mouth and the thoughts on their hearts and in their minds will be acceptable in your sight. Because you are our strength, you are our healer, and you are our restorer. Amen. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. There is no question about it that this woman was healed. She had been suffering for 12 years. She had spent everything she had trying to be well. Well. She had seen all the doctors and still she wasn't healed, but she touches the fringe of Jesus and she's healed. It's also important to know that her her illness, the bleeding, if you look back in the Old Testament, uh, because she was bleeding, that was a sign of her being unclean. So because she was unclean, Then the religious people said, no, you can't come into church, basically. Kept her out of her religious experience. And then because she was unclean, she wasn't allowed to to be in public. or highly, highly discouraged to be in public. And she wasn't even allowed to be around family. I know some of you are thinking, I got a mother-in-law I wouldn't mind uh, (laughs) saying, hey mom, you can't come over today or why don't you skip Easter and in fact keep your daughter with you or whatever the Well, Jesus isn't talking about our normal dysfunction that we all have in our families. But basically, this woman had slowly become a nobody. She had gone from a somebody to a nobody, and she was doing it in isolation. She was doing it without the people who loved her the most, without her support systems. And I wonder, I know it's easy to point fingers. It's easy to oh, they should have known that. Come on, how can they keep her out of church for that reason? And sometimes I think we would like to say, oh, the church has come a long way since then. But in reality, has it. My guess is some of you are here because somebody probably has kept you from church. Rather than building a, a uh building a relationship, building a bridge to you, somebody has built a wall and has kept either you or one of your loved ones from coming to church. I grew up in Detroit. The big three not only stood for the auto industry, but in the church I grew up with, the big three, the big three no-nos that kept you from church or from anything in leadership was smoking, drinking alcohol, and dancing. So I will play the victim here, and I will say my inability to dance is blamed on the church. <laughs> so I can do a few little things and stuff like that, but that's about it. My daughter says, Dad, sit down when you go to weddings. Uh, and It's all the church's fault. Now, I have no idea why they did some of that. Well, I do, but anyway. But for whatever their reason was, that was the wall they built. In fact, my folks are divorced, and then I couldn't take leadership role in the youth group since my parents weren't at the church, so therefore I couldn't do some things, and it's just like this horrible cycle. But I also suspect that some of you are here because, again, somebody has taken out a brick or two or three or, Lord willing, they've taken a sledgehammer and they've broken down a wall that was built by somebody someplace, and they've extended the arm of friendship to come here in a mountain park. And that's our value when we talk about being a safe place to visit. But again, for the woman in our story, there wasn't a safe place. The church kept her away, and unfortunately at times, we need to really ask ourselves the question, Are we out of fear? Are we out of a lack of understanding, out of tradition? Are we also unkindly and unjustly keeping people away from understanding who God is about? Well, again, I don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. I fully believe that the church is God's primary change agent for society, even despite our mistakes. And I am thrilled to be here knowing some of your stories, some of your stories that you were able to bust through that wall and that you're here and that Mountain Park is about of the restoration process and Mountain Park is about of your healing process uh, to wholeness in Christ. And it's a kind of a place, again, that I am thrilled to be a part of. But the woman touches the robe of Jesus and he says, Daughter, your faith has made you well go in peace. And she's healed. But immediately, you know, when, he, when she's healed, he addresses her and starts to rebuild her dignity, her respect, and he starts to take her from a nobody to a somebody just by saying the word daughter. Because there, the, the context of daughter is really uh, one of, out of relationship, one out of love. It's a word that describes uh, intimacy. So Jesus immediately takes the woman from a nobody and gives her some value. He does that so well, doesn't he? Your faith has made you well. Go. And that word go can also be described as a journey, uh, as uh, to walk and live. We use the word journey. Some may call it sanctification, but I can't even spell that word. So we'll say journey. So Jesus says uh, to this woman, your faith has made you well, go. And that really telling us that our Christian experience, that our relationship with Jesus, is a journey, step by step. And that's what we call our Sanawats, folks. You know, seven different ways that we're just saying, you know, each of us need to be about becoming like Jesus. Depending on where you're at, it will depend on what part of that Sanawat you dive into. But he says, your faith has made you well, go in peace. And the peace he's talking about isn't from the 60s. Thank God on that, huh? But the peace he's talking about is the peace that we live in the reality that the promise of God to restore all of humanity is found in Jesus. That our peace isn't about our outward circumstances, but it rests on Jesus. So from those words, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This woman is restored to health and her community and her faith family. And again, it's a wonderful story. I believe it happened. I believe miracles can still happen. In fact, we could almost be done today, and you'd be going, "Juno's done. Another miracle at Mountain Park. He cut his time by 20 minutes, you know, uh, <clears throat> But unfortunately, that's not going to happen. <laughs> because for me, this, this passage raises a lot of questions, a lot of questions still about healing. And I know some of you, and well many of you, I know some of your struggles, some of your story, and I know that many of you have prayed compassionately and very lovingly uh, for people that you know. You've been extremely faithful, as faithful as the lady that touched the robe of Jesus, and still healing from, from your perspective, from your understanding, didn't occur the way you had desired. And yet, uh, here we are. And yet, you may be having that same question, but if the woman did this, why can't this happen? Well, again, I think we need to remember that the primary purpose of Jesus was to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. And if we think a little bit further, even when Jesus walked the earth, folks, there were still people that couldn't see, there were still people that couldn't hear, still people that couldn't walk. Even though he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead, he didn't raise everybody from the dead. The undertakers would have loved that, you know job security, but he didn't do that. He raised a few people here. He healed a few people there. Sickness still occurred. And again, his primary role wasn't to heal everybody. I think at times for me, I need to to look at what is my view of God when it comes to some uh, of my prayers. Maybe some of these, these, these ideas, uh, maybe you fit into them. I think at times some of us may think that uh, rather than God making us in His image, that we have created God in our image. So we want God to be our puppet, you know, little hand puppets. So when I lift my finger, God does what I want God to do when I want God to do it. Maybe some of us have the view that Uh, or the image of God, that God has a a chain around God's neck. And God walks with us. You may even sing a song, And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. Then you yank the chain, and you tell God to do a trick for you. We tell him to answer the prayer just the way you want it. Maybe some of us have the view of God as uh, in a in a genie bottle. You know, rub the bottle and poof, Robin Williams doesn't come out, but the Holy Spirit does. And oh, ho, 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 let me perform. What do you need? Then, when you get your life back together, you put them back in the bottle, you put them back in the box, and you shove them away until the next crisis. Or maybe for some people, your view of God, your relationship with God, is tightly interwoven with what you drop in the offering plate. I'm not even talking about the amount you drop in, but for some people, just the fact that you're giving something, you think maybe you own God, and maybe then the more you give or the more faithful you are, and even if you hit to the tithe, which, which is a great thing to strive for, even if you go above that 10%, then heck, I've been paying God all along. Why doesn't He do what I want when I want why doesn't he fix the situation? And I think for many of us, we know that we don't control God. In fact, some of those, those illustrations are pretty crude. But I think in our culture, many of us, whether we admit it or not, struggle with that infamous C word called control. And that raises its ugly head and really intervenes and messes up our relationship with God. And we forget the fact that God has created us in His image. And again, we want to create God in our image. I think it's important for us to remember that God does love us, even though prayers may not be answered the way we want them to be answered. When the specific medical problem might not be healed, God has and can continue to use each of us to be a part of the healing process, to be a part of restoring people, their dignity, their humanity, and helping them to be all that God has created them to be. And in that process, the wall comes down, bridges are built, people experience what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God here on earth. You know, and for me, this passage comes home in a couple different ways. The first way, you know, 21 years ago when I was engaged, Bonnie and I were talking about children. We were in our early 30s, so that was, you know, back then, like, better get started or else it may never happen. And Bonnie had shared that because of her uh, uh, challenge with endometriosis, we may not be able to have a child. So we went to specialists, went to doctors, she had corrective surgery. Our romantic life was controlled by the calendar, by the clock, by the hour sometimes. I lived in a university. I was a dorm director and that was a very interesting dynamic in and of itself with trying to become pregnant. Uh, People were praying for us. My home church, her home church, our new church, people were praying for us. Still no baby. We had spent lots of money and still no baby. I had to learn how to give shots, you know, injections to Bonnie. And I tell you that saying this is going to hurt me more than it does you was very real as I, I never realized the whole needle goes into your body, you know, and so it was horrible for me. Bonnie's like, you're not the one getting the shot, but anyway, uh, so, you know, our relationship took all kinds of uh, uh, direction, and we grew as we struggled through this together. I was a part of a church, part of the leadership team, but I was not about to share what we were doing because I was afraid we'd be put in a box. You're young, you're about to go to seminary, what are you spending all this money for? Are you trying to play God? So I refused to tell these 25 men in leadership what was going on. But my pastor friend encouraged me to, and I was amazed at when I shared how these men shared back things that were going on in their life. We were so blessed. And then we looked at James and we realized that, you know what? It says in the Bible, if you're sick, to have the the church leaders anoint you with oil and pray for you. And I was a newbie to this whole denomination thing and this whole church, and uh, uh, put it this way, everybody was blonde and blue-eyed, and here I am. And I felt like a a little bit of an outcast, you know, the saying, if you're not Dutch, you're not much. Well, it was all Dutch. Bonnie was Dutch. It was all Dutch, and, and there I was, asking them, you know what, is this okay? You know, I'm not going off the deep end here. I'm just saying, my understanding of Scripture says this, and when you anoint with oil, many of you probably have not done that, uh, it doesn't mean they take a gallon of popcorn oil and and pour it over you, you know, and you're anointed. Uh, If you knew my wife, that would never happen. Uh, It's just very simple, you know, and they pray. It was an incredible experience. I would have bet the farm... That body would have had a miraculous conception right there, and we were going to have a baby. I'm thinking, this is going to make a great book. This is wonderful. Thousands of dollars later, all we have are broken dreams, but no baby. You know, didn't God know what we were going through? Didn't God know what we were feeling? but God did answer our prayers in a ways that we would never have dreamed of, and that that is when we adopted Mackenzie, just two days after she was born, and we wouldn't trade that for anything in the world. In fact, I would often, when we would see pregnant women coming in to places, you know, and, and the pain they were obviously in, you know, just like barely walking and and sitting like they need a crane and it's just and if i've offended you pregnant people i'm sorry but you know it was just horrible and i would lean over to bonnie and say isn't adoption a blessing (laughs) she would like you know you know but it it was and then a year ago this past february uh, my wife's turn took a uh, wife's health took a turn for the worse Many of you who were here then, you know that my wife had suffered through cancer for 13 years. But for 10 years, she was cancer-free. Then all of a sudden, something happened again. And so while we were trying to figure that out, we were getting calls from Michigan that my dad, an 84-year-old guy, picture-perfect health, seldom sick a day in his life was all of a sudden coughing up blood. And so while they were pursuing that back in Michigan... Test results came back, and he had cancer of the tonsil. And so they immediately started uh, chemo and radiation. And at the same time, we're trying to figure out what's going on with Bonnie. And then we figured out that her cancer had come back for the fourth time. And we were praying, you were praying, Churches from Michigan, or Michigan Cornerstone, every place, were praying for Bonnie. How desperately I wanted to hear the words, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Well, in early October, my daughter and I flew to Michigan to be with my dad and have the He was a non-church-going guy, except when I was speaking and they were here. Uh, So they were pretty regular. Well, they were here. They were 100%, you know. Uh, So we had that that conversation. You know, uh, Mackenzie wanted to make sure Papa just didn't know about Jesus, but that Papa loved Jesus with his heart. So we had that conversation, and a couple days later, my dad passed away. I was supposed to go back to do the funeral, but Bonnie's health continued to spiral down. Pretty unpredictable. So I stayed here, and we eventually uh, put Bonnie into hospice. And a couple weeks later, my wonderful wife of just 20 years went to be in the arms of Jesus. Well, what does all that mean? On one hand, he blesses us with Mackenzie. On the other hand, uh, I can say it now because she's passed away, a 51-year-old went to be with Jesus. Well, what it means is that, the, that God has loved us in the past and God now loves us in our present reality and God will be with us in the future. I continue to pray for healing for people. I fully believe God can heal. But restoration happens in so many other ways. And God has blessed us and my family with restoration. I also realize that being in community, if it wasn't for the community we were in, I'm not sure how we would get through this situation if it wasn't for the people who loved us here and from our various places of of serving and just being in relationship, I, again, have no idea of where I'd be. So for those of you who have been here for the past year and been a part of that, thank you. God has used you to be a part of restoring our hearts. And I'm convinced that God can continue to use you to restore the hearts of many other people who are far from God, that God can use you to pull down those bricks and to build a path of a relationship so people can be restored to who and how God had intended them to be. I would gladly have accepted the miracle of a physical healing, and I know Bonnie is in, in great, great shape now but the restoration has occurred in a number of ways. In the first ways, as I, as I shared, we adopted Mackenzie and brought her home just a couple days after she was born. What a blessing she was. Can you believe that's her two-day-old picture? Bonnie was blessed to pour into her life as a mom, and Mackenzie was blessed because she looks just like me. You know? <laughs> Look at that head of hair. I never knew how much hair it could cost as she got older. <laughs> and then especially since Bonnie's gone, I'm taking her to Alta. What another experience. But anyway, uh, God performed a miracle by bringing Bonnie and me together. It took longer than I expected. I was in my early 30s, but finally God did something miraculous there. Bonnie was on one side of the state. I was on the other. Two different cultures, two different people, She's the introvert, I was the extrovert, and again, somehow, our paths crossed. I never thought I would date a blonde. And she never thought she'd date a non-Dutch person. But, but it was a wonderful uh, marriage, and we were both better because of each other. As Bonnie had struggled with her cancer, she had been cancer-free for 10 years. You talk about a blessing, an answer to prayer. She lived a life of grace and she just loved helping women to become intentional in their walk with Jesus, intentional in the decisions they made so that they could live a life of impact. She loved being a mom. She loved being a wife. And If you know me, she probably loved being a mom at times a little more than being a wife. To me, I could press her buttons pretty easy. And also, uh, God used Bonnie to restore the relationships within my family. She really was an angel. And so Mackenzie got to know Grandma and Papa in a very real way, in a very loving way. Papa was her protector, her advocate. He would call her weekly. Even as a 15-year-old, she would get weekly calls just to check up on her. And I would say, what did Papa say? And my daughter would say, he never says anything, Dad. He just calls. And so, but that was Papa. And then God also did a miraculous restoration by bringing us here to Mountain Park. I don't just say that for job security. (laughs) But it doesn't hurt. (laughs) But despite Bonnie's desire to be closer to her family, Bonnie knew that Mountain Park was an outstanding fit of minist- for ministry for me. She knew that this was a place that people were taking down walls and building bridges. And so I am very confident that while a physical healing didn't occur, restoration has occurred. And that restoration can continue to occur here through each of you, as you allow God to to touch your life, as you allow God to use you to take down a wall, to build a bridge, so that people can be not just in community with each other, but in community and to understand what it means to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior.